0: As you work with people who invest, what are the elements that make them attractive to you guys and returning customers, I guess?
1: Yeah, I think it's a very hands-on experience. I mean, the the exempt market, the market we're in, the real estate private equity space, uh, the syndication space, it is somewhat hands-on uh, unless it gets a much larger company. So people are de- dealing with principles in most cases where you don't have that in the in the equities or uh, other types of investment REITs and what have you. You're not sure what you're investing in or who's handling your, your funds. Where with us, you're dealing with, in our case, with our CEO and understanding really the, the investor profile, the investor psychology of what, what are they looking for and allowing them to kind of uh, speak their part.
2: Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host Brian Briscoe. Very excited for today's show. It's one of our Ask the Expert episodes. We got two great people on the line with us right now. We got August Biniaz and Ronnie Gu. And so, you know, August, as tradition on the podcast, you're the experienced investor, Sure, so you're up first.
1: So, first of all, welcome to the show. I'm glad to have you. Absolutely, man. This is a long time coming. I've uh, been watching you grow, and we've been watching you on LinkedIn. So excited to be here today. I'm Humbled uh, to be here to answer some questions. I'm sure Ronnie has has some pointers for me as well, and I'm sure you have with your expertise. You'll add a lot of value as well. So excited to be here today.
2: Thank, thanks a lot. And and Ronnie is probably the most experienced aspiring investor we've ever had on the show. And um, Ronnie, first of all, my my hats off to you for you know the, the the humility and and the desire to learn from people who are more experienced. But um, you know, we'll talk a lot about that later. But uh, you know excited to to talk with you as well. Um but that said August back to you um tell us a little bit about yourself give us an idea of your background where you come from and and how you got into apartment investing
1: Absolutely yeah my background really started uh in real estate uh 16 years ago as a licensed agent mm-hmm. uh, I wasn't really good at being a real estate agent, um, but I was I was good at finding deals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, I started doing small fix and flips. Eventually, started my own general contracting company. I was pretty good at managing and finding deals. Mm-hmm. Um, my general contracting company. I was building single family homes, more on the luxury side, um, and eventually uh, wanted always wanted to scale. And eventually, got into ground up development projects. Mm-hmm. Now, when I did my first ground up development project, I realized that as the GC, I couldn't be overseeing that construction project where I was doing it on single family mm-hmm. that I had to bring on um, a GC that had expertise in doing uh, multifamily. Um, and that's when I, I, I had got, I had the deal. I had the investors, and I myself was one of the investors as well, and I then brought in the expert. So I syndicated my first deal without even knowing what syndication was, <laughs> and I, I fell in love with that model. Now, when yeah, I was yeah. doing single family, it was also similar to that as well, where I was, I would find a piece of land, I would go to friends, family, business associates, and say, I'm, I'm going to be the builder on this project. I've built many single family homes. You know, let's pool our capital and, and build this single family project. For multifamily was a similar thing, but then I had to bring on the GC and other experts, and I fell in love with that model. I'm like, yeah. hey, this is what I wanna do. I want to kind of merge the world of private equity and real estate and do ground-up development project. That was kind of my dream. Mm -hmm. Um, Soon realized that ground-up development is not as glamorous as it is made to um, seem, particularly in in the region you're in. I'm I'm in the west coast of Canada and uh, Vancouver, and there is a lot of bureaucracy with the city hall. There is rezoning, as you guys call it in the US, entitlement. Mm And that could be a very costly, difficult process. At times, it could take a couple of years to yeah, get a, yeah. a, a land entitled. And then when the construction begins, you have environmental issues. When demolition takes place, that could be, run up the cost. And then when construction takes place, you have issues with cost overruns, um, uh, material costs, contractor costs, and you know uh, other issues. And by the time a project is finalized and is ready to be marketed and sold, all the performers you did on day one could be completely different. Yeah. You know, so um, when I was in that stage of trying to grow my uh, my ground-up development kind of syndicated uh, investment where I was introduced to the, to the U.S., and what I noticed is, um, you know, a lot of groups, rather than doing ground-up development, they were buying already built apartment buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they were doing some small renovation, selling these things in three to five years. But what was shocking to me was that, they had cash flow I'm like, I'm like, how is this possible? How are these guys getting cash flow? How much are they putting down? And I realized, no, they're doing a conventional mortgage they're putting down twenty percent, thirty percent, but they're still cash flowing and that was surprising to me because the region I'm in I'm at a two percent we're at a two percent cap rate Ooh, wow. we're in negative cash flows similar to California and New York so then I you know I fell in love with the model. What also, also made me really uh, fall in love with the model was was how the alignment For the investor interest existed within this deal. As a general contractor, as a builder, as a real estate agent, I got paid no matter what happened with the project. Mm -hmm. My compensation wasn't performance based, but I realized in the in in the syndication multifamily syndication business and real estate private equity, the majority of the profits are made on the back end, and when there is preferred returns that uh, the investors need to hit those returns before the GP participates. So I fell in love with that part of it as well. And uh, co-founded CPI Capital a couple of years ago, and uh, we're here today.
2: Nice, nice. Yeah, I I love that. Um, You know, you're able to to basically grow organically, and you, you're doing syndications before you know you really knew what that was. Um, something something I learned a long time ago. You know, long before I heard the the syndication term was the OPM term. You know, the other people's money term, and do do as much as you can earning you know earning or using other people's money, and you know finding that win win situation. It sounds like you've been doing that for for most of your career. Um, you know, and I, I assume to to be as successful as you as you have.
1: You had to figure out a way to to make it worth your investor's while to begin with. To be totally transparent, uh, I didn't realize that that saying I never, you know, I, mm-hmm. I never pursued uh, the idea of private capital. Uh, it was more just going to my friends and family, I, yeah, and yeah. I struggled for a long time having an inc- having incredible deals come across my desk knowing that I could jump on this deal, build it myself, uh, you know, bring on the contractors, uh, mm-hmm. tremendous deals and just not having uh, access to equity to be able to do it. So, uh, it, it was a frustration that was within me for many years before mm-hmm. realizing that there was a process where you could raise capital. Uh, again, the market I was in was Canada. So it wasn't as common, syndication wasn't as common as as it is in the US where I was located. Mm-hmm. So it was a frustration that was built up. So the moment that I realized there is a possibility to achieve uh, you know, uh, uh, what I was looking to do through uh, raising private capital and there's a process in place and, and so on and so, so forth. I can touch on that more and what, what the direction we took yeah. when we realized that there is a possibility. So yeah, it wasn't... Um, I came to that realization later on in my career as a, as a yeah. builder.
2: So, so something I, I like to focus on are, are the kind of the inflection points, you know, um, what what was it that helped you to realize that you could, you know, use that, that model and
1: raise private capital? Yeah, I think it was the first deal. It was the first uh, multifamily large deal that I had. It was a land assembly, as we Mm -hmm. call it, putting uh, uh, five single family lots together, going through the city and doing a rezoning. And when I put those projects under contract, um, and I approached some investors, uh, it it was shocking that how investors came on. No, it was a a JV. It wasn't a passive investment like a limited partnership or or LLC. It was a JV. But I ended up raising $5 million in two Mm -hmm. weeks. Uh, and these some of these investors I'd never contacted uh, had contact with before. I had one associate who knew them, and they jumped on. My associate invested. I invested in it myself as well. Mm-hmm. So it uh, it it grew rapidly, and it showed me the potential that exists. As long as you have a great deal, as long as you have the experience and background, mm-hmm. investors are. Uh, open to invest and that was an idea that uh you know prior to that that deal didn't really exist in my mind i had limitations i had set limitations in my own mind saying mm-hmm. that hey if i can't get approved for this mortgage or if i don't have the equity i can't do the deal and this deal proved me otherwise and uh, you know really um, catapulted me in the in this space of real estate private equity
2: nice now so- something else that i want to focus on and, and another inflection point that you meant is, is your transition from uh, Canadian real estate to U.S. real estate. You know what? Uh, what kind of prompted that, and um, what difficulties did you have? You know, making the jump. I mean, there, there, there's an imaginary line along a parallel, but it makes so much difference. But uh, what, what, what challenges do you have
1: jumping across that uh, that line? the biggest challenge was going to my mom and saying that uh, instead of building single family and multifamily I'm going to be buying properties in the US I think that was the big number one challenge and she was on my case um but but really the, what it was it was yields mm-hmm. I mean in the US you got over 300 million people you got a you know uh, you know very entrepreneurial positive country um you know there's uh, the the yields are just there the you know uh, you know the opportunities exist uh, the rent-to-value ratios, really, their mm-hmm. the rental yields uh, compared to, to, to uh, my region. So I saw the potential. I also saw the uh, the trajectory and the growth of other companies mm-hmm. that were Canadian companies who had invested in the U.S. And the, the farther research I did, I realized that this is happening on the institutional side as well. The Canadian Pension Fund, which is one of the largest pension mm-hmm. funds, partnered with Greystar to uh, purchase and build multifamily. So I'm like, hey, there are billions of dollars of Canadian uh, capital is going to the US, both on the retail and institutional side. So uh, there must be something greater on the US. And when I just did the numbers and, mm-hmm. and, and, and you know and the culture is a bit different. You know, in, in Canada it's it's the appreciation game that people play. In the US, you you got the uh, cash flow appreciation and with multifamily you got the opportunity to go on force appreciate which has the trifecta
2: yeah. You know, and you mentioned that you guys were at a two cap in Canada. You know, we we complain when things are trading at three caps here now because, you know, a couple of years ago, I think the average cap rate in the US was a six. You know, and I think that's dropped down into high fours now, you know, according to last reports I've read. But uh um that there's there's good and bad to that, you know, the, the forced appreciation at a lower cap rate, you get more, you know, bang for your your renovation buck, but sure makes things expensive buying and and it reduces the cash flow a lot. So
1: just one um, more item to quickly add, Brian, is also um, Canada is not really entrepreneurial minded. So we do have a lot of restrictions when it comes to growth and what have you. We're very highly taxed. Mm -hmm. Also another item, when it comes to multifamily, we have strict rent control laws uh, Mm -hmm. across Canada. So I I had somebody on our YouTube show, a multifamily, and I was making the comparison between Canadian multifamily and US multifamily. And in, in one of his... Um, uh, you know, in one of his uh, his ways that he was trying to promote Canadian multifamily, he's like, "Hey, we just paid one of the tenants twenty thousand to move out, and that was it. They moved out." I'm like i like, if my American associates hear about you pay twenty thousand dollars just to have a tenant move out, yeah. you know, that, that it will totally shock them. So yeah, the, the rent control laws are very restrictive here as well. So that's another great thing about the U.S. In most uh, regions in the U.S., I wouldn't say everywhere, but yeah, I just want to make that point quickly.
2: Yeah, and that, that, that that's a good point to make. I mean, like like I said, that that line in the sand, or I guess the trees, but uh, a lot a lot of difference when you cross lines and go into different different jurisdictions and. Um, I, I know a lot of the the investors, you know, a lot of people who are GPs on properties don't want to see those rent control laws become the norm here in the US. You know, it, I, I know there, there's a lot of jurisdictions that do have them and there, there's a lot of people who are very reluctant to invest, you know, so... It's one of those, you know, two-edged sword where it's good for some people, not good for others. The age-old, age-old distinction, you know, what's what's better, you know, the the community or, or the individual, and um, I think the U.S. in most of its laws has chosen the individual. So, yep,
1: yeah. data shows that rent control it, it ruins uh, business and commerce. So, uh, there, I've done actually a video on on this with a property experienced property manager for thirty years in Vancouver who went through the process of rent control coming in, and he showed how. That was the reason for a lot of things to go wrong, including um, including uh, supply. That mm-hmm. build, developers were just not building uh, a market rental because there was no point because yeah. the because of the you know the the situation that exists. So there is a lot of data and research on the topic.
2: Absolutely, something I always like to ask people is is about their their big burning why, their their motivation for being successful. So, what is your big burning why?
1: Yeah. You know, uh, before the show, I was doing some research and I binge watched a few of your shows. So I knew, I knew this question was coming up and I reflected on it. I'm like trying to come up with the best answer, but I, I kind of asked the question for myself and I, I pondered about it for the last few days of what is my why? And I, I I can't say it's it's one reason I can't say it's financial or personal or, um, altruistic. It's more a combination of all. I think number one is the ability to be able to, Create jobs, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for 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 masses of, of people. I look at multifamily as a win-win-win business. There's, uh, you know, the mm-hmm. the tenants, the you know people the people living in these communities that we buy are winning because we go in and our business model is literally to uh, value add. Um, the the people who who get jobs uh, but f- from the renovation and management and 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 the private equity firms that creates jobs they're winning and also the investors are winning as well so i want to i want to be able to my why is to creating those jobs creating commerce creating business creating returns for investors also on a personal level um, my why is uh, you know being a successful businessman uh, uh, for my family, for them to you know be able to uh, live a comfortable life and um, uh, be given things that maybe I wasn't or the advice that I wasn't given when I was uh, growing up. So that's kind of my my why all um, all in one. I mean, it sounds like you just want to help the most people possible. It is is kind
2: of what that is. I mean, you you're you're looking for the win 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 situations where where everybody benefits. And uh, you know, in, in, in an effort to make people's lives better, including yours and your your families, so absolutely, um, yeah. Thank thanks for giving us a little you know um, window into your soul for a second. But uh, um, you know, sh- shifting gears one more time, let's talk about one of the one of the deals or projects you've done uh, in in the apartment investing space. So you know, pick your first, your favorite, your most recent, and and give us an idea of, of how it went down.
1: Absolutely, it's going to be a bit of a long answer, but I'll try to run through it. I do speak a bit fast, so if if anybody is listening to this on one point five x, it might be too fast for them. But uh, go back I'll, down to one point two or something, right? Exactly. I'll, I'll be quick. I mean, when we when we first started out and saw the potential in the U.S., we we're like, okay. This is the asset class. This is the property type we want property type we want to focus on. This is the business model multifamily class A class B value add and it's got to be institutional. The issue there was equity. We're like how are we going to be able to buy a 100 plus unit uh, asset which is class A class B in these high growth areas um and we're going to need access to uh, a large amount of equity and being a newer firm, that was going to be a difficult process for us. And there was so much of our, of our time. Initially, when, I started, when we started CPI with my partner, I was under the impression that people that I had made a lot of money over the years for, millions in some cases, they were just going to jump on and invest with us. That transition wasn't as fast as I expected it to be. So calling uh, you know, an associate saying, hey, we done a deal together. You, you made a couple million dollars on a few houses I've built for you. I got a deal in Orlando, you know, would you want to jump on and invest 100k? It wasn't as easy as I thought, because of the US because of this GPLP structure. Yeah. Um, so we came to a realization early on that, hey, we're going to need access to a lot of equity and not just for one deal. If this is a repeatable, scalable business model, we're going to need a machine that's continuously going to be building, uh, you know, our, our our investor pool. And that's when we came to kind of the, the strategy to become thought leaders within the space that there was mm-hmm. somewhat of a vacuum when it came to Canadians investing in the US, uh, when it came to this kind of cross-border investments. And uh, we started building a brand. So we built a brand around CPI, around myself, around my mm-hmm. partner, Ava Benesaki, and um, with our YouTube show, with our... Uh, uh, You know, newsletters, a lot of creating, a lot of content webinars. Uh, Eva wrote a book uh, about real estate investing in the last couple of years. And (laughs) it's just becoming, attempting to become thought leaders. We've spoken on over 70 uh, podcasts and YouTube shows, spoken on multiple summits. So we've built that brand strong enough that if you Google Canadians investing in U.S. multifamily, we'll show up somewhere there in the the first page without any uh, SEOs. So mm-hmm. that, that assisted with that side. But then soon we realized so much of our time, the resources is being spent on investor cultivation and nurture mm-hmm. that the, the deal side, the acquisition side, uh, you, you know, we're, we're somewhat overextending ourselves, And that's when we realized that we need to go to the co-syndication model mm-hmm. where we partner with our active operators as our asset manager on the U.S. side. They act as our basically boots on the ground, and then we come on board as as a partner. It was important for us to uh, be the GP on deals to have say, so uh, we're not subordinate to to anyone else. Uh, and and through our fund of fund structure, our Canadian investors invest into our Canadian fund. Our Canadian fund invests into the U.S. fund, and then our U.S. investors can invest directly into the U.S. fund. So uh, yeah, that's kind of the long way. So so our first deal was a deal in. Orlando, Florida, with, um, mm-hmm. with passive investing, Dan Hanford. Yep. Um, and, um, and yeah, it was it was great. Um, it was a great uh, opportunity. It was a $92 million deal. It was a, uh, over a $30 million equity raise. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. for us to have that notch on our belt was amazing. Most people say start small, you know, start with a fourplex. You know, we started with a 350 unit uh, building. So um, yeah, that's a little bit of background, long way of uh, answering your, your question about our first deal. I love it though. I love it. I mean, a lot
2: of people, I, I think, put the cart before the horse. And there, there's a lot of educational programs that kind of point to, you know, if you have a good deal, the money will come. And you guys came at it from the opposite direction, which I think's the the more appropriate direction of, you know, let's build this capital raising arm, let's build this thought leadership, let's let's build something, and then we'll start jumping into it, which. I think for most people, the answer is start with a fourplex, but you guys built something that was able to, you know, put millions of dollars into a large deal up front. So, um, you know, there's there's good, better, and best ways to do it. I think you guys nailed the best. So, So-
1: Just to add one quick thing to that is other, the other bonus of, of creating a brand and, 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 you know, impressions are everything, right? The brand we created actually made us seem much larger. And I'll kind of get into that later on about people reaching out to me on top of deals coming my way. But it was deal flow. I had many operators reaching out. I had many brokers reaching out. so deal flow started coming in as well. So it wasn't just on the, no. the you know, building that brand, becoming a thought leader in the space. and uh, you know a lot of people having the impression that we're bringing hundreds of millions of dollars of Canadian equity. Ended up, you know, having a lot of great deals coming our way. So then we could sit back and cherry pick the best deals mm-hmm. for our investors. So just want to yeah, touch on yeah. that briefly.
2: Yeah, and that's, that's absolutely true. I mean, a lot of companies, I mean, us included, you know, we're, we're, we're sifting through deals as the broker get, gives them to us. You know, in your position, you're looking at, you know, the deals that have been sifted through. You're looking at the operators that have looked through, you know, hundreds of deals to find the one.
1: Bottom of the funnel. We're bottom yeah. of the funnel. So you're they're bottom they're of the funnel.
2: And, and that's, that's, that's the great thing that you guys built is now you, you have the track record, you had the experience, you have the ability to raise a lot of money. And so people, once they have deals are coming to you with the good deals and you're basically able to choose from the cream of the crop. So
1: exactly.
2: I, yeah. Exactly. I think, I think that's an amazing model. And, uh, you know, eventually, I want to. I want to be. I want to be you. Essentially, is what,
1: what I'm saying. But uh, I'll, I'll add one brief thing. And forgive me every time I try to add because there's some course. important points. Is that within this co GP uh, partner par- partnership and structure, the question comes up always for the investor. Hey, if I'm dealing with two GPs, does that mean that uh, my my returns are being depl- uh, depleted? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not the case. The the GPs involved in a deal you know, there's certain allocations made to the GP to promote and the Mm -hmm. the fees. That just gets divided between the GP depending relative to their Mm -hmm. amount of uh, allocation into the deal and their duties and responsibilities. The the LPs don't end up receiving less returns just because there were more GPs involved. And the other great thing about about it is there's more sets of eyes. There's us, our team looking at a deal. So by the time that deal, uh, you know, has been vetted by our uh, operating partners, by the time it gets on our desk, we're looking at it, the brokers are looking at it. Our team uh, is looking at it. By the time it gets to the investor, it's uh, must be a phenomenal deal for that time. Yeah, you
2: know, and and, and one other thing, and I, I'm not sh- I assume you you're very aware of this, but if you're bringing in a large chunk of a capital on a deal, you can also negotiate better terms for for your investors as well. So you know, as opposed to you know a GP going out and raising you know capital one investor at a time. You know if you're coming in with uh the the spv fund of fund model and you're dropping in you know 30 40 50 percent of the the equity stack you know you've got a little more bargaining power to get your investors maybe a little bit more you know maybe maybe a higher preferred return maybe a little better split so 100
1: 100 even if you bring in 10 percent of the total equity needed yeah as long yeah. as that's that's kind of the 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 perfect mark is bringing 10%, at least 10% of the total equity yep. needed. Yep. So good. Good. All
2: right. Well, one last question for you. What's next?
1: What's next really? I mean, again, it's, it goes back to building and scaling CPI. Um, uh, we were currently working with um, 15 or 16 virtual assistants from all over the world, marketing teams. Uh, we're looking to grow our team. We do have uh, advisors and uh uh, partners but we're looking to grow our team and 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 um that's 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 basically the focus also we would like to uh, initially when we did the co-syndication model we Mm -hmm. did it out of need and not want Mm -hmm. we did it because that's the way that we wanted to kind of get uh, more deals but we're realizing that's a pretty good model to have so we would like to continue doing that model but we also want to do our own deal as either the sole GP or the lead GP. So the next thing is hopefully in Q1 or Q2 of 2023 is to do our uh, our own deal as uh, the lead GP where we're bringing on other GPs to partner with us or as the sole GP on a smaller deal. So that's yeah, next okay. for CPI.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, and the nice thing about this, I'm sure you realize is, you know, if you're not splitting the GP, you know, you do make you know, more of the pro. you make all of the profits on the GP side. Absolutely. So um, there, there's there's a definite win there as well. And, you know, absolute, you know, best of luck to you. And I'm, I'm sure you guys are going to nail that with with the track record that you guys have had. You know, I'm, I'm sure that I'll see plenty of deals like that come from CPI. That said, we're going to shift gears one more time and we're going to bring Ronnie on the show. So Ronnie, welcome to the show.
0: Brian, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it i'm excited to be here yeah and you know just
2: i just gotta throw in a plug for your wife you know jenny (laughs) she's been on the show three times already and she has two of the top five episodes the number one episode and three of the top 10 episodes so um this is big princess for sure (laughs) anyway ronnie uh thanks for coming on the show today i very much appreciate you and, and, and your time um before we talk about you, um, I got a got an email yesterday from from somebody in your group. I understand you guys are, are going to host a conference here soon in Phoenix. Can you talk a little bit about that first?
0: So um, we have decided as Vertical Street Ventures, we're going to host a national conference in June fourth and fifth. It's going to be in Scottsdale, Arizona. And you were talking about why with August a minute ago, and it's purely because we want to help people understand and learn this industry, right? Spreading the the gospel a bit about what does passive income look like. What does the world of real estate multifamily syndication and this world of of you know basically apartments look like? And so it's a two-day conference. Uh, first day is going to be speakers and helping people get settled and understand the foundation of it. And the second day is going to be mostly a bus tour. So we're going to take them around to five of our properties around the Phoenix metro area, smaller, 30, 40 unit size up to over 100. you know. And so... A lot of great value you know it's, it's going to be a great conference we're excited to have it so all right. it's going to so if you can find out more it's it's vsvcon.com if you want all to right. learn more about it
2: all right and we'll put the link in the in the show notes and, and this this episode is going to air in plenty of time for for people to uh to grab their tickets and uh um I, I didn't buy tickets yesterday. I was I was this close, but uh, the ticket price just for everybody is very reasonable.
0: I, are, you, are you guys still in the early bird phase? We are in the early bird phase through March 25th. It's 99 bucks for uh for uh, admission for uh for uh for regular admission, and then 250 for VIP. So early bird, you know, prices are up until right. March 25th. So
2: all right, and I'll I'll be getting a VIP ticket before March 25th, probably before <laughs> the end of the day today. But
0: uh, love that, thank you, Brian. Um, yeah, I'll be
2: excited to, to see you guys down there. Absolutely. So, all right. So that, you know, that that was a little sell. So I wanted to learn a little bit more about that. So a little, little bit of, a, you know, selfish question there. But uh, <laughs> um, so that said, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, mm-hmm. what your, your background is and how you got yeah. into the real estate space.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Brian. So, um, hey, I, I've, um... I've worked previously in my my, my life of real estate. I worked at Procter and Gamble along with my wife. Uh, we met as interns there, but I worked there for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I worked on big brands like Bounty, Charm and Puffs. Um, loved that business. Loved P and G. Loved working for that company. Can't say enough about it. But we uh, relocated to Southern California recently mm-hmm. uh, due to family reasons, and we'll talk about why in a second. Um, but that was, you know, and as a result of that, we had to look back at our careers and say, how do we? have a flourishing career in the location that we wanted. Mm-hmm. And so um, with that, we made a choice where uh, Jenny decided to leave PNG and and you know, start up her career multifamily, and I stayed at P&G. Mm-hmm. And so since then, um, Vertical Street that she started about 13 months ago, uh, Vertical Street, basically by the end of March, we'll, we'll, we'll have purchased around 13 properties, about a $240 million worth of, of property value uh, assets under management uh, in our portfolio. Um, so VSV has got great, you know, Great leadership and a lot of seasoned veterans in terms of managing partners, and I'm on it here and learn from August because I just left my job five months ago. You know, so we have had a couple of raises. I've I've been learning the ropes. Uh, I've done two raises recently, but I'm always here to learn. And honestly, that's how all of us learn multifin. There is no formal education. You can't go to school for it. And uh this whole process is is a discovery phase for many of us. And so yeah. um, so yeah, that's it's been a it's been a world and it's been a ton of fun and I've learned a lot the last couple of months. Yeah.
2: As I said at the beginning, you know, that that's super impressive for me that you know you come on as the aspiring investor. And um, incidentally, Jenny did the same thing, if I remember right, uh, you know she had the first deal under contract and about ready to close it. And she also came on first as an aspiring investor to talk, uh, uh, to, to learn from people who were, you know, several steps ahead. So, um, you know, very admirable quality. And, you know, once again, thanks for, thanks for, for, thanks for being on the show again. Yeah. No, I'm excited to be here. So thank you. Cool. Cool. All right. So now, now we'll we'll talk a little bit about your big burning why, and I know you alluded to it a little bit earlier, but, uh, let's, let's distill
0: that down and and talk about, you know, your motivation. Yeah, I think it's twofold. You know, I think one, um, I'm a, I'm a son of an immigrant. And so, uh, the world of, basically being unable to control your own destiny is very challenging, right? Mm-hmm. And so I've seen my dad go through being a janitor to trying to start his own business to basically struggle with your life and basically pouring all his his, his knowledge and resources into his kids, right? And so mm-hmm. I think what was interesting was I have been trained to become basically a very steady corporate America employee, mm-hmm. right? And so for me to leave, the reason for that was very simply, I wanted to be able to control my own destiny, uh, on behalf, frankly, for my dad. My dad. Yeah. The reason why we moved back to Southern California is because my dad got lung cancer a couple of years ago, and thank God he's you know he's cancer free now. But at the time, you're making decisions to say, how do I spend more time with my family, mm-hmm. right? And so, that was the key driver behind thinking about what are the various ways to, like I said, create a. a a life for my family how do we think about that so number one that is you know one of my whys. the yeah. second piece and i love what august said earlier was how do you create great communities for people who you're know, looking for just a wonderful place to live right and coming from California, i know how challenging it can be right as we august you come from canada right it's it's like the real estate world is such a to be honest, it's cruel sometimes how the, how how you cannot find a great place to live because you've been priced out of the market. And so, uh, we invest mostly in Arizona. It's still a very affordable place to live, and we create great communities that provide a service that you know just create a quality of life that is frankly not able to be found in certain places of the country. And so, um, that coupled with to your point. The, the the past investors that come along, they realize passive income that create financial freedom for them or flexibility. The combination of those two is such a unique thing that uh, is, is a wonderful world of, of this multifamily syndication that, that creates, you know, benefits on both sides of the coin for, for, for property. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it.
2: Um, you know, a lot, a lot of goodness there. And I think uh, you, you touched on something that's, you know, near and dear to my heart. I mean, I wasn't corporate America, but uh, you know, I, I stayed in the military a lot because of of the stability it provided. You Absolutely. know the 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 ability to to provide for your family, and right. um, I think at some point I saw the same thing you did, where there there's limitations. You know, there's yep. definite pros to having a good stable job, but uh, um, at some point, you know, I saw the limitations that you know the system had and needed to break out so yep. as my good friend jerome would said I, I i took the red pill eventually but uh, <laughs> um anyway um that said ronnie we got august on the line what do you want to yeah. ask him
1: before you get into it man i gotta i gotta say i've talked to uh you know one of your partners kyle mitchell and he's yeah. been on our show actually so you have a strong team there we've even been in conversation doing deals together so yeah. i feel like she should be asking some questions from you so <laughs> uh I, I might end up asking some questions from you so uh they, go ahead go ahead brother I no, have a dream team assembled i mean they really do i
2: mean it's it's they've got really solid people in every role. And yeah, I mean, um, when I, when I heard Kyle was joining up, I was just like, man, I mean, they were good already and now they're just even better. But anyway,
0: Uh, good kind of words. Thank you guys very much. And I guess there's always room to learn, right? And and August, I loved your story and uh, appreciate you sharing. I mean, the, the partnerships you've had. I think my first question is, as you think about You've created a great brand. You've got tons of followers, investors that come along. When you guys started scaling, what was the what was the first aspect that you guys scaled? And who was your first hire, I guess, when you guys first
1: started? Okay, so maybe I can answer it in a few different ways. I mean, first thing was realizing virtual assistants, that even they existed, and you could hire somebody overseas and who had expertise in a certain field. So that was a huge benefit for us, um, having contractors from all over the world, and then learning what contractors are good for what, uh, you know, uh, from from the regions they come from. uh, Eastern Europeans are really good with graphic design and web development and the technical Mm -hmm. side of it. And then, uh, you know, uh, you know, other regions great for other items. So that was one part. And then, uh, within internally within our company as well. So when we initially started, I was, uh, dealing with investors. I was ahead of investor relations. But, uh, when my partnership started with my partner, uh, we, we realized that she fit that part much better than I did. And uh, she came on and Ava Benesaki came on and took over the investor relations. And it just, it, it organically happened and that was a very interesting part of our business, uh, really that, and now she's head of investor relations. That's the basically our onboarding pro uh, part of their onboarding process. So Got it. Yeah. Got
0: it. that's helpful. And then speaking of that, then that actually leads well into my next question. I do. So at vertical street, there's four of us, as you said, Kyle does mostly acquisition. Steve and I do a lot of, uh, capital markets and, and marketing and Jenny does a lot of asset management these days. So we're a bit more siloed. So my questions around capital raising, as you work with, you know, people who invest, uh, what, what is it, and you've kind of mentioned this, what is it that keeps them coming back to CPI? What are the aspects of how you communicate? What are the elements that make them attractive to you guys and returning customers, I guess?
1: Yeah, I think it's a very hands-on experience. I mean, the the exempt market, the market we're in, the real estate private equity space, uh, the syndication space, it is somewhat hands-on uh, unless it gets a much larger company. So people are de- dealing with principles in most cases where you don't have that in the in the equities or uh, other types of investment REITs and what have you, you're not sure what you're investing in or who's handling your funds, where with us, you're dealing with, in our case, with our CEO, uh, who is Ava Benesaki, that's, that's ahead head of our investor relations yeah. as well. So that's, that's been a big part. And a lot of times because of the brand we've created, investors get on a call and they're like, "Uh, she's like, uh, Ava speaking. And they're like, Oh, Ava, they're like, they're shocked that it's actually her on the call with them. So um that's been that's been a big part. We do have a bit of a monopoly here in Canada, because our the product we offer, the U.S. multifamily, is so much superior to other products here in Canada. Uh, preferred returns are another very important part of our business. Uh, starting out, our plan is to have preferred returns as long as the market uh, allows preferred returns to exist. Um, so that's another thing that sets us apart from other uh, companies. Um, and understanding really the the investor profile, the investor psychology of what, what are they looking for and allowing them to kind of – uh, speak their part, uh, you know. Um, uh, at times, you know, it feels like that there might be a, you know, you, you play that therapist kind of role when you're talking to a, to an investor and right. and you know, figuring out what what is the, what are their pain points. How can your uh, investment? How can your product relieve them from their pain points? So it's focusing on that, allowing them to explain it. So uh, yeah, it's it, it's been a great process, man.
0: Yeah, and I I love that because I think that's the. People usually when they schedule time with us, it's usually like you know, tell us about your company. Well, first, tell me about what you want, right? Are you looking for passive income? Are you looking to build your wealth? Are you looking for a certain market to invest in? Tell me what you want, because I may not be a good fit for you, yeah. right? Based on the profile of deal that we we can provide, right? So, I love your approach there. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing around you talked about. Working with different GPs, right? And you, um, we, we we're mostly operators, and we obviously we, we do most of our deals ourselves. We do partner with other GPs, usually on the like if a deal is a large deal, it's usually on the capital raising, we might need some help on. How do you? What are the aspects of general partners you look for on your end that you're that you're you're trying to find out that said, hey, that, that may be a good GP to work with. Yeah, no, great
1: question. So again, because of the uh, initially starting out, that wasn't the case, I was open to, uh, you know, my, uh, you know, my, my, my kind of um, profile was much broader as far as what GP I was looking to invest with. But as we, the, as we were getting approached by so many different GPs and deals coming, we got much more selective. So we look for a GP that has at least of $100 million of assets under management, <laughs> their own assets, not a co-GP structure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we look for people who've done deals that have gone through his full cycle. Um, it's very important to us. Their transparency is extremely important. Uh, the questions we ask, can we talk to some investors who invested with you? Uh, you know, other questions, have you ever lost money? Who is on the GP side in the past? What other GPs have you worked with in, in this co-GP structure? So transparency is very important for us. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's gut feeling. I mean, in business, a lot of time I use my gut feeling. I've been in business for a long time. Uh, you know, it's the feelings you get from someone. Um, so a combination yeah. of all of those, uh, those items.
0: Yeah. I yeah, think the gut feeling is interesting because uh, it, it's so inter- like, there is no formal way of, you know, with, when you're working for a company, it's like, oh, you have this umbrella of that company. Everyone's been vetted, interviewed and whatnot. This world is all about, can't get a gut feel for this person to be a good partner to work with, right? It's very hard to say that everyone walks around with a background check on their forehead, right? So it's, a, you know, it's, it's, your gut feel is critical here. Yeah, for sure.
2: Now, August, if I can ask a follow-on question, how much does market matter? I mean, you talked a lot about vetting the, the sponsors, you know, how much uh, emphasis do you guys play on the, the specific market in general?
1: Frankly, it starts with the market. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're we, you know we're uh, very bullish on the uh, some states again because of the fundamentals that exist there. A lot of a lot of people are moving out of California, New York into these built states. The lower cost of living, the more business friendly laws. We look for four main metrics. We look for job growth, population growth, income growth, and rent growth. And as long as those metrics have been have been in place for uh, you know last couple of years, that that is a Strong market to be in, so it it, you know a very important part of our business here in real estate private equity is lowering risk. It's all about risk, right? So you can't predict the future. Future, we're not sure what's going to happen. It's just uh, lowering those uh, risks that exist. And as long as you invest in such a market, you know there might be a, a black swan event or there might be a downturn in the market. But long term, you're in a good place because it has those fundamentals of job growth, population growth, income growth, and rent growth.
2: All right, I like it. I like it. I Sorry, have a question. Ronnie, I still, still, so a little bit of your thunder. Back to you. Here, I you have a question from
1: Ronnie. Though oh, I have okay. a question. Yeah. Hey, Ronnie, I was just going to ask you because you know your team, like like uh, Brian and I both talked about, you know the 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 superstar team members that you guys have working there, and your wife has been on the show, so uh, you know there's a bit of a competition between us. I got to ask my wife to be on the show here as well <laughs> and see who gets more uh, views. But aside from that, I just want to know. You 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 mentioned that each each one of you guys has a position that they play within the company. How did you guys come up with that? Did it happen organically the way ours did or was it set that hey this is the this is the part of the you know, this is the department we're looking after and we're looking for someone to come into acquisitions and Kyle comes. How did all of that take place?
0: That's a great question. Um, I think there's twofold. One would be, what are you passionate, interested in? Right. Cause we know when you're small, you're wearing all the hats. Right. And so you'll find out like, Hey, what is it that you are interested in and passionate about? And over time we almost gravitated towards our roles, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, Kyle, the reason why he joined our team was because was Kyle is great at everything, but he lives in Phoenix. He loves working with brokers. He loves underwriting. He was, I want to stick to that. Um, he obviously had his own podcast at the time. That's the Vertical Street Podcast. He did a lot of things just to you know, to be ver- very good at what he does. But over time, we gravitate towards what we we're naturally good at and frankly, the geography of it, right? Jenny, Steve, and I were all in Southern California, but a lot of things we do are very remote. Kyle, He's got to be a boots on the ground, really execute. him. if you get a deal, you got to be be there the next hour to mm-hmm. see if this deal scope out. Right. And so I think it's a bit of natural gravitation with, you know, just the geographical you know situation we've got. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, we are about out of time here. So uh, once again, thanks to both of you for coming on the show. And I got one question for each of you to wrap things up. August, you get to go first. How can listeners learn more about you? Yeah,
1: great. No, we really appreciate you, you, you having us. Uh, yeah, the best way to get uh, in touch with me is, uh, you know, our website, CPI cpicapital.ca. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're in the process of purchasing the dot-com. We're having some difficulties there. Um, and uh, I'm very active on LinkedIn. I have a a, a newsletter on LinkedIn that uh, have uh, f- over 4,000 subscribers to my newsletter. So August Biniaz on LinkedIn. You also search CPI Capital on LinkedIn. I'm sure it pops up. So those are the best ways to get in touch with me.
2: All right. And we'll put links to those in the show notes. So anybody interested in reaching out, You know, just tap, swipe, and tap, and that internet thing will whisk you away.
0: All right, Ronnie, same question for you. How can listeners learn more about you? Absolutely. Uh, Thank you, Brian, first of all, uh, once again, for having me on. So you can find us at verticalstreetventures.com. You can uh, email me, Ronnie, at verticalstreetventures.com. Also, Ronnie Gu on LinkedIn as well. So a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, Brian. All right. Thank you. And that's a wrap.
2: Thank you for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast today, brought to you by Four Oaks Capital. If you'd like to know more about how to invest in apartment buildings or want to be a guest in our show, visit our website at fouroakscapital.com podcast or email us directly. If you're still listening, you obviously like the show, so pull out your phone, tap subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you again next week.